to read to us the, the Christmas narrative kind of in the order of events. Um, I know this is a lot of Scripture, but, and I know you've heard these verses probably time and time again throughout the Christmas seasons of, of old, but, but be amazed all over again just at the different events that, that took place, um, the different characters and people we see in the midst of this, all surrounding the birth of the Son of God. And, and first I want to start in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, I'm going to read through verse 38. And it should be up on the screen, too, if you want to follow along. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age, and people used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the Word of God will never fail. Don't you love that verse? For the Word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant, and may everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. And then we're going to move over to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 18 through 25. It says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, and, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and, and, he named, and Joseph named him Jesus. And then we're going to move over to, back to Luke's gospel and pick up in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, where it says, At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. And this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. 
And that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in, this, in, this, in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find the baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angel had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was a baby lying in the manger. And after, him, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had, told, had said to them about the child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen and was just as the angel had told them. And finally, back to Matthew in chapter 2, reading verses 1 through 11. This says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the, king of the Jews? And we, we saw a star as it arose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, and as, everyone, as was everyone in Jerusalem, and he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. When Herod called for a private meeting, with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I too can go and worship him. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. You know, when we think about the birth of Jesus, there really isn't a lot written I mean, just, just some simple things, some simple people. And yet, all right, well, those verses that we went over earlier in Matthew and Luke, what, what we're going to do tonight is something a little different. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a message not formatted like I normally format a message, but really what we're going to do tonight is just take some time to reflect on the different people that were involved in that Christmas event, that first Christmas when Jesus was born. And just, I'm just going to ask us just a few thought-provoking questions as we think about those people and these events surrounding Christmas. And the first one I want to talk about tonight really is um, Mary. And have you ever just stopped to think about why, why did God choose her? You know, when I read Scripture, and I hope your mind does this too when you read Scripture, when I read the Bible, my, my mind just asks random questions sometimes, like, 
of all the girls in Israel, what was so special about that one that God chose her? I mean, you know, it wasn't like it was just by some random chance. It's, I mean, yeah, she was a young virgin girl born in the right family and just so happened to be married to a guy that was one of David's descendants and all coincidence, right? I, I think it was more than that. And in fact, I'm pretty positive it was more than just pure coincidence that, that God just closed his eyes and that one, you know, no, I mean, I'm pretty certain that we can really accredit this in, in the vast majority of the way just to simply to, to God's sovereignty, that, that God in his sovereign plan knew that that, that girl was going to be the mother of Jesus. You know, Mary was prophesied about, I mean, not by name, but that virgin girl prophesied way back in, in Isaiah's day, 700 years before Jesus was ever born. And I'm pretty certain that God knew when he gave that prophecy to Isaiah 700 years before that, that it was Mary. And in fact, to think about that, you know that in the end of the book of Revelation, it talks about how Jesus was crucified even from the foundations of the earth. And I'm pretty sure that God knew before he ever spoke the first word of creation that Years down the line, there was going to be this young girl from the tribe of Judah who was going to be engaged to this young man from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David that would eventually become the, the mother of the Son of God. There's no doubt that God's sovereign hand had a huge part in making that take place. But although I will never discount the sovereignty of God for being the primary factor, if you will, and Mary being the one that was chosen, I really think as we think about what's written about Mary, that there was definitely some contributing factors um, as to why God chose that young girl. For instance, in, in Luke's account there in Luke chapter 1 and in, in verse 30, it just simply says this, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. I mean, what a, a simple thing, and yet what a remarkable thing it is that, that of all the young, young girls in Israel, God saw her, and, and she was the one who had favor with God. What, what, what this tells me about her is that she had to have been, even though she was probably young, most scholars believe she was probably only, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old. Culturally at the time, that's about how old they would have been when they were engaged like that. And yet, she had to have been just an incredibly mature woman who, who took her walk with God seriously. A young woman who was devoted to the Lord, who was righteous, who was virtuous. And by the way, she handled this news from the angel. It just tells me that she was just a, a woman of just incredible faith. Faith beyond her years, even as a young woman that she was and it was a young woman that that God looked down and trusted completely to be the one that would raise his one and only son again there's no doubt that God is sovereign but those attributes that came uh, that, that Mary has that, that we see here and just that simple phrase that God chose her even though God's sovereign God in his sovereignty didn't force Mary to make good choices he didn't force Mary to reject temptation and, and live righteously. And, and it's not that Mary was perfect, but, but she made the choices in her life that, that God looked down and says, I have, this woman has found favor. But my point is, is her, her virtues didn't come about by accident. And I have no doubt that, that that's a real big reason why God 
chose her is because she was already living a righteous life, a life that, that God could use for something remarkable. And, you know, as I was thinking about this this week, I, I couldn't ha- help but ask myself just a few questions like, am I making the choices in my life that would cause God to notice me? You know, am I living a life that's, that's righteous, that's virtuous? I began to ask myself questions like, is, is my faith really as strong as it should be? Like, am I living in a way that, that, that God would, would want to use me for something more impactful than I'm doing right now? You know, it, w- would God look down at, at me and, and see somebody that says, that's somebody I'm pleased with. That, that's somebody that I want to use. You know, I hope that's something we all ask ourselves. You know, are we living a life that, that God looks down and sees us and says, I want to use him. I want to use her. You know, many times I, I think as Christians we're often wondering like, God, are you going to use me for anything? Like, are you ever going to use me for anything bigger than I'm doing now? And, and yet as I was thinking about Mary she wasn't looking for God to do something big. She had no idea this was coming. She was just living her life the best she knew how, living the way a good young, young, a good young Christian, well, Christian, but Jewish girl would, right? Doing all the right things, living the right way, I mean, the best she knew how. And it was in that that God saw her and chose to use her for something bigger. And as I was thinking about that, if we want God to use us for something that's really going to impact His kingdom, I don't know that we have to sit and wonder what that's going to be. In fact, I think if we just remain faithful, stay in our prayers, stay and keep learning in our Bible, living as sin-free as we can be, and when we mess up, confess those things to the Lord and, and, and choose to do better tomorrow, if we're just faithful in our abilities and using our abilities and gifts and, and resources to build His church and His kingdom, if we're faithfully sharing the gospel with people as we should, do you think maybe if we just start doing those things faithfully that if God wants to use us for something bigger, that he'll just reveal that to us when the time comes? I think so. Mary's an incredible person as we think about that, but so was Joseph. There's not a lot written about Joseph, and yet in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 19, it says Joseph, her fiancé, was a, a good man. Again, just simple words, and yet those, those words mean righteous, virtuous. So much like Mary was described, Joseph was obviously a man that took his righteousness in front of God seriously. My guess is that he was a devoted member of the local synagogue. You know, he probably followed God's commandments well. I'm sure he faithfully obeyed and, and followed the Jewish customs of the day. I believe Joseph was a man who simply did his best to, to live a life devoted to God as he knew. I mean, he, he was just a good man. Wasn't anything remarkable, wasn't anything special, but he was just living life how he knew it was right and doing his best to, to do that. Now, obviously, he, he was a kind man. Obviously, he was a humble and self-controlled person because if you were a young man, put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Looking forward to your wedding, you have your young bride, and then you get this 
crazy news that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, just had it not been for the angels, put yourself in his shoes. I mean, Mary comes up to him, Joseph, I'm pregnant. Who's the father? God. I mean, and yet he shows this incredible restraint. He could have had her humiliated, but he didn't. According to Jewish law, he could have had her stoned, abandoned her life. And yet he responds by simply saying in verse, in verse 19, he, he, didn't want, he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Well, it just tells me that he was a man that was gracious, merciful, I mean, again, there's not a lot said, but Joseph was obviously a man of faith. A man obviously in tune with the Lord. After Jesus was born, he did exactly what God said when the angel came and said, Hey, there's people after his life, you need to flee to Egypt. He picks up and he goes. No questions asked, just picks up, takes off, goes to Egypt. When God says return, he takes off and heads back. I mean, he just, just, I mean, again, not a lot written about it, but just a simple man, but yet a man who was just obedient to the Lord. And I was just thinking about that this week and thought to myself, what if we, what if we responded like that to God every time he told us, told us something to do? Every time God just placed something on our heart, you know, instead of arguing with him or, you know, hemming and hawing and, I don't know, God, I don't think I have what it takes. Are you, are you sure you have the right person? I don't know, God, I don't really like that plan. What about if we just do it this way instead? You ever find yourself in that spot when it comes to your walk with the Lord? <laughs> but what if instead, like Joseph, we just said, okay. If that's what you want me to do, God, that's what I'll do. I'll go. Again, Joseph was obviously a man of incredible character and faith, just like his wife was. There's a little doubt in my mind, at least, why God chose him. But as I was thinking about Joseph this week, just another thought kind of came to my mind as I was thinking about him that I've never really thought about before. And honestly, this was really what challenged me about Joseph. And in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 1, it just it seems like just a verse like, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Don't think about it much, but... He said he didn't, he didn't have sexual relations with, with her until after the son Jesus was born. Again, it just seems like one of those verses like, I mean, why is that even in, in there? And yet, with what that tells me is that he didn't try to cover it up. You know, when, when she came back pregnant and obviously the town found out and all the people knew, he wasn't like, yeah, we messed up, you know, take the blame for it, this or that, whatever. I mean, he, he didn't try to cover it up. He even though he was probably ridiculed by his family and friends, although I'm sure he, he faced some public mockery. If you think about those, I'm sure he was walking down the streets and people in the corner whispering to each other in their, in their ear as he walked by, and yet he just took Mary as his wife willingly and, and willingly faced all those things on account of just simply being obedient to what God said. And I was just thinking this week, like, what am I willing to endure for Jesus? Am I willing to be made low that he might be lifted up high? Am I willing to face ridicule for him? Am I willing to be made fun of for my testimony of Christ? 
Am I willing to be mocked? Am I willing to be persecuted for His sake? Am I, am I really willing to do anything to lift His name up? This challenged me. As we're kind of thinking about that, I was thinking about even the, the wise men, these magi or whatever you want to call them from far eastern lands. And I was thinking about them. I was asking myself, how, how far am I willing to go just to be able to bring worship to Jesus? These men travel probably just hundreds upon hundreds of miles over difficult terrain just for the, the privilege of offering Him a gift and being able to worship Him. And I just wonder how far are we willing to go to bring Jesus the worship that He's due. What if God called us to go across the street to our neighbors to tell them the good news of Jesus? Would we, willing, would we be willing to go that far to bring God honor? What if we were called to go give a gift to some strange person that God placed upon our heart? Would we be willing to go that far for Jesus? I don't know. What if God someday placed it on our heart to to go to the mission field and, and to bring the gospel to people that have never heard it, would we be willing to go that far for Jesus? How far are we willing to go to bring Him an offering of worship that is worthy of Him? And as I was thinking about the shepherds, you know, I, I know we talked about the shepherds a lot last week, so I'm not going to talk a lot about them, but, but a few questions kind of came to my mind as, as I was thinking about the shepherds, like, are we as excited about meeting Jesus as they were? You know, are we as overwhelmed by God's goodness as they were that first Christmas night? Are we full of joy so much that we're so excited that we can't keep the news about the Savior in? We just got to go tell somebody about it. Are we that excited still about Jesus? You know, if we would just stop just for a moment and internalize the grace that's been given us, if we, if we would really just understand what's been done in our behalf. How do we not get excited about Jesus? Now there's just, back in Luke chapter 1, verses, verse 31 and then 34 through 35, I just want to read this again and just bring a couple more thoughts into this. It, it says that the, the angel said to Mary, you're going to conceive and give birth to a son and you'll name him Jesus. Mary asked the angel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. But then it just says this phrase, so the baby to be born will be holy and called the Son of God. Now I mention this because what happened in Mary's womb is a picture of what took place in our lives when we got saved. Now a question that I've considered a number of years ago because my mind wanders like this. I was reading Romans chapter 5 one day. In Romans chapter 5, it gives this picture of, this compares between the first Adam and the second. The first Adam being the literal Adam of Genesis, the second one being Jesus, obviously. And it says there that sin came through Adam, and because Adam sinned, sin passed on to all men. And so every person from the time of sin has been born into sin. So much so, um, you know, Psalm 51 and verse 5, David was speaking. He said, I was born a sinner even from the moment my mother conceived me. He was born in sin. There was like this sin gene that we're born with. Like that old phrase, you know, we're not 
sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's part of our DNA. It's part of our human nature. Unfortunately, it's been passed down for generations. And yet my mind started wandering like this, and I'm thinking, well, Mary was still human. Although she was a righteous woman, although she was good, I mean, she was not perfect. So how is it that Jesus, being fully human, came into this world absolutely free of any sin nature whatsoever? And so my mind got wondering about this, and then I thought to myself, the Holy Spirit's going to come in and you'll conceive through Him. So the Holy Spirit came in and into Mary's seed that was sinful. And yet when the Holy Spirit comes in, what happens? It's absolutely cleansed, absolutely purified, absolutely freed from any trace of sin whatsoever. What a beautiful picture of salvation. Who knows that before Christ we were sinners? Our sin was ugly, it was dirty, it was... It would have separated us from God for eternity in a place called hell. The Bible says even our most righteous deeds to God are but filthy rags. And yet, when we made that decision to ask Jesus in, when we confessed Him as our Savior, the Bible tells us that that the Holy Spirit comes in. We became the dwelling of the Spirit of God. And when He came in, what took place? We were absolutely cleansed absolutely purified. Our sins were absolutely washed away. So much so that 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11 says that we were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. In Titus chapter 3 verses 4 through 7 it says, when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed our sins away, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior and because of His grace has made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. What happened in Mary's womb happened in us. The moment we got saved. You remember back in John chapter 3 when, when Nicodemus came to Jesus and he wanted to know, how do, I, well, how do you get to the kingdom of heaven? How, and Jesus says, you must be born of the Spirit. And he says, well, how can I be born again? How can I go back into my mother's womb? He says, oh, you don't understand. You must be born of the Spirit as well. This whole idea of being born again, it's, it's the idea of spiritual rebirth, and that's what took place in us. When the Holy Spirit came in and washed us clean, we became righteous, given the very righteousness of God in Christ. Shouldn't that thought of that excite us? I mean, shouldn't the thought of that absolutely just overwhelm us with joy? Shouldn't we, who have experienced such great a gift, shouldn't we be like the shepherds and just have an overabundant desire to share that great message with somebody else? Has never experienced it. Now, as I close, I want to talk about one more thing from our verses um, that should give us an incredible, incredible hope. You know, you don't have to look around very far to notice that our world is just in absolute chaos. There's immorality all over the place every day. The news tells another story of corruption, another story of some scandal or violence or death or destruction. And from 
just the naked eye just seems like our, our world is just absolutely spinning out of control. And yet for us as God's people, we have this incredible hope that what we see in the present is only temporary. We, we can know that, that all these things that we see, there's going to be a day when they're all made right. And, and back in Luke chapter 1, I just want to read verses 32 and 33. Well, the angel tells her that Jesus will be very great. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. But, and he said the Lord will give him his throne of his ancestor David. But verse 33 is what I really want to focus on. It says he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. Isn't that really the hope of Christmas? That, that the present experience that we're living through right now it's going to end someday. As one person said, as a Christian, this is the closest thing to hell we will ever see. For eternity, we're going to spend in the presence of God where sorrow is gone, pain, no more, grief doesn't exist, Death's been eradicated. For as many years as you can think, and eternity beyond that, we're going to spend an eternal bliss experiencing joy in its fullest like we've never experienced before. And it's all because of Jesus. All because He was willing to humble Himself, leave the glories of the splendors of heaven, and come here to be born as a baby. And as Philippians chapter 2 said, he humbled himself so much so that he went and died on a cross so that we could be saved. What an incredible, incredible gift we've been given. And I love this. I'm going to close with this promise in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 that tells us this. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. And you know what I love about those verses? What I love about those verses is what Luke says here in his gospel. Very simple verse in verse 37. The Word of God will never fail. Friends, if you know Christ the Savior, you can bank on it. And it's a guarantee that there's a day that your troubles will be over, your sorrows will be gone, your pain will be over. And you will spend eternity in the presence of Almighty God forever and ever and ever by the grace of God. God's Word says it, and God's Word is true. Let's hold on to that hope, and let's share that hope with somebody else this Christmas season. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this night. Thank you so much for the hope of Christ, the hope of eternity through Him. Heavenly Father, for those of us in here that have made the decision to follow Jesus, God, let us never lose the wonder and amazement of the reality that we've been given in Christ. This, God, give us the ability to never get used to it. I, gotta think, I just think so often as Christians, we kinda just, we've been Christians for so long, it, it, it kind of loses, loses its flavor just a little bit. God, that should never be. We should be so overwhelmed with joy and excitement, God. Let us live with that joy and excitement each and every day. Even in the midst of our day's troubles and pains and problems, God, please let us never lose sight of your grace. 
So much so, God, that we can't hold it. We shouldn't be able to hold it and let us share it with somebody else. This incredible message of Christ. And Heavenly Father, if, if anybody in this place, anybody listen to this, Lord God, that's never made the decision to follow Jesus the Savior, let them call out today and be saved. Let them confess Christ as Savior and Lord. Let them believe in their hearts that, you, that He died, that You raised Him from the dead. Let them believe that He is enough to save them and commit their lives to Him in faith. Lord, let them do that tonight. God, we praise You for this Christmas season. We praise You for who You are and for all You've done. In Jesus' precious name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Guys, we close tonight. We're going to sing two songs.